Welcome to the Every Nation Dorado Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. Good evening, guys. Don't those people at the back want to come to the front? Come on. Don't be like that. Don't be like that. So, hi, everybody. My name is Malcolm, um, and I serve in this house, and I'm honored to be part of this house. Uh, So, let's just open up in prayer. Um, Lord, we just want to thank you for this moment that we have right now, um, where we can learn more about you, Lord, where we can learn more about um, your word, Lord God, and what it is that um, you have planned for us. Lord, I pray that this would be a Holy Spirit moment, that it would be led by your Holy Spirit. Lord, that um, I would step aside, Lord, and that you would take um, the lead, Lord, and that you will reveal yourself in a very real way to your people tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, today, tonight, we're going to talk about being led by the Spirit. And I just want to give props, if you like my slides, it's not, uh, it's not my doing. Caroline does a lot of our behind-the-scenes uh, sprucing up, and I just want to honor her in that. Like, she does a really, really good job in that, so that's brilliant. So thank you, Caroline, in your absence. She's not here. Um, so we're going to talk about being led by the Spirit. And I just want us to turn to Romans 8, verse 5 to 9, and then we'll skip down to verse 14. And starting in verse 5, and this is in the Amplified Bible. So the Amplified Bible just gives a little bit more explanation about the verse. Um, So starting in verse 5, it says, For those who are living according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, which gratify the body. But those who are living according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit, His will and His purpose. Now, The mind of the flesh is death, both now and forever, because it pursues sin. But the mind of the spirit is life and peace, the spiritual well-being that comes from walking with God, both now and forever. The mind of the flesh, with its sinful pursuits, is actively hostile to God. It does not submit itself to God's law, since it cannot. And those who are in the flesh, living a life that caters to sinful appetites and impulses, cannot please God. However, you are not living in the flesh. And when it says you, it means those of us who are believers, who give our hearts to Jesus. We no longer live in the flesh. We are not controlled by the sinful nature, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God lives in you, directing and guiding you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him and is not a child of God. Verse 14, skipping down. For all who are allowing themselves to be led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And what's fascinating about this, okay, there's a lot of talk about flesh and a lot of talk about spirit there, right? And it can be very abstract in thinking. So when we read the word flesh in another translation, it talks about carnal. And carnal um, and flesh really just speaks about our senses. So there's nothing necessarily wicked about the flesh or about carnality. Because it just means of the senses. So what we can touch, what we can see and smell and hear, everything that it is that we interact with in the world that seems 
like reality. Amen? So all of that is carnality. All of that is the flesh. And that's not a bad thing. There are many beautiful things. There are many beautiful people in the world. And we can touch and see these people. But what Paul is trying to emphasize here, when he talks about, in verse 6, he talks about that the mind of the flesh is death. What is he speaking about there? Well, what he's saying there is that if we are overly concerned with the things of this world, overly concerned with what we see, what we touch, what we smell, what we hear, that is death. That leads to death. And as believers, it says that we are born of the Spirit. And so therefore, we are not overly um, interested or we are not overly concerned and pursuing in all, um, at all times the things of the flesh. So you can interpret this in one of two ways. You can interpret it as a literal and as a philosophical. In the literal, it means that if we are concerned with the things of the flesh, that we will, that all these things will perish. So everything that is of flesh, everything that we can see, touch, hear, and smell, is in a slow decay. It is decaying. It is in the process of dying ourselves included. We can all agree to that, amen? So everything that you can touch and smell is in a state of decay and will eventually die. So that's the one interpretation. The philosophical interpretation is to say that everything that we set our minds on on this earth that overly interests us, that we pursue wholeheartedly outside of God, leads us to death. Why? Because it takes the focus away from Him and it puts us on things that are physical. And we can see that around us, that everything tends towards death, that everything is in a process of decay. We can see that by the fact that there's disease, that there's pain, that there's sickness. We can see it by the fact that there's sorrow and evil in this world. Amen? All of that speaks to the things of the flesh and the things of this world. And the word says that we are in the world, but we are not of this world. So what does that mean? It means that we are present in this world and we do interact with the world, but because we have been reborn and there's a new spirit inside of us, it also means that we have a new citizenship. And we've spoken over the last couple of weeks about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world, and that we now belong to the kingdom of God. So therein lies our conflict. We have the struggle. We have the struggle between the flesh because the fact of the matter is that I still have a body, amen? I'm still flesh and blood. I still tire. I still get hungry. I still crave after things. And later on in Romans, and Romans is a fascinating book, and you need to spend a lot of time in Romans to like pick it apart. It's brilliant. But later on in Romans, we see in Romans 12, verse 1 to 2, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies dedicating all of yourselves set apart as a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your rational, logical, intelligent act of worship. And do not be conformed to this world any longer with its superficial values and customs, but be transformed and progressively changed as you mature spiritually by the renewing of your mind, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes, so that you may prove for yourself what the, well, what the will of God is, 
that which is good and acceptable and perfect in his plan and purpose for you. So two things there. To please God, we need to do two things. We need to offer our bodies, this physical flesh, to him as a pleasing sacrifice. And then secondly, what we need to do is we need to renew our minds. And in renewing our minds, that is when we can set our, thing, our minds on the things of Christ and we can operate in the spirit. Amen. Going on to the next slide. So what is it to fellowship with the flesh? So like I said, we've got this, this tension in us. We've got this fight, this battle inside of us between the flesh and the spirit. We have a physical bo body that we still live in. Even though we've been redeemed and we are new creation, we're a new spirit, we still have this flesh and this mind that we need to contend with. And the flesh and the mind don't always do as the spirit wants to. Paul says that those things that I want to do, I do not do. And those things that I shouldn't do, I do. And I, I tend to do. So we have this battle raging on inside of us. And what is it to fellowship with the flesh? So let's look at it. There's three things. There's the people, the culture, and myself. So who are the people? In 1 Corinthians 15.33, it says that um, bad company corrupts good character or good morals. So what it speaks of there is that if you are fellowshipping with the flesh, it means that you are overly concerned with the people of this world as well. Now, don't get me wrong. God calls us to love this world, right? It says that we need to go out and spread the good news of the gospel to all. So that means we need to show love. But when it says here that what I'm saying here with regards to spending time with people, who is it that you go to first when it comes to advice? Who are the people that you rely on the most? Um, uh, earlier on in this week, Pastor Chris sent out um, a devotion, and he had a quote in there from Jim uh, Ron. And the quote was that you are the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. Who are those five people that you're spending the most time with? Are they godly people? Or are you pursuing people in the world and placing them ahead of the people who know the one true God? Number two is the culture. Romans 12 verse 2, we just read that and it says, do not conform to this world. So do not conform to the things of this world. So what does it mean to engage with the culture in the flesh? It means to be overly concerned with the culture of this world and the thinking of this world. And the thinking of this world is depraved. It isn't in alignment with God. The things that the world values are not oftentimes the things that God values. I mean, let's just look at television, for instance. Amen? I mean, television is a great invention, but I don't know how much good it's actually achieved over the last 60, 70 years. How much value have we really derived out of television? And I'm not saying that television is evil. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that. I guess a better question would be, what value have we received out of reality TV? Is there anything that we can say is good and noble and pleasurable and good that God would sit next to us and say, wow, that's quite interesting. I like what you're watching there. You could learn a lot from that guy. So... The culture of this world is oftentimes in conflict with what it is that God says we should hold in high esteem. The world says pro-choice. And as believers, we say what? The sanctity of life, pro-life. The world says um, due process. 
and we say, no, justice. I mean, how often have people gotten out on a technicality? They've raped, they've stolen, they've pillaged, they've plundered, they've killed, but they can go free because of due process. Due process wasn't followed. God says, justice. How many times um, have we heard this as well? Like the world says, or God says, I made them male and female in my image. And the world says, gender fluidity. If you feel like a woman today, you can be a woman today. If you feel like a man tomorrow, you can be a man tomorrow. That is the culture of this world. Do we overly concern ourselves with the things of this world? And then thirdly, myself. I think that's the biggest stumbling block. In Matthew 6.25, Jesus tells us that we don't need to worry about uh, bread and food. We don't have to worry about the clothes that we're going to wear. These things will take care of themselves. God loves you more than the sparrows and the lilies of the field. And he clothes them in glory and he feeds them and he makes sure that everything is okay for them. You are his child and he loves you much more than that. But as people, what we've done is we've made ourselves the center of our worlds. And this movement has really been born out of the 1960s. In the 1960s, um, there's a psychologist by the name of Maslow. And he came up with a concept called self-actualization. And he came up with a hierarchy of needs, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And I'm not bashing Maslow and Maslow's thinking because what he actually put forward was a very important concept. And it is actually very important to think about things like that. It is important to try and to attain some sort of self-actualization. But it's not necessarily that we need to make ourselves the center of everything. As believers, we believe that Jesus is the center of it all. He is our identity. He is the one that gives us our perspective. And so out of this whole self-actualization movement, what has come? We've had um, self-awareness, self-consciousness, self-confidence, self-esteem. And I heard an interesting sto story about this one guy, and he was just saying that he has no self-esteem. Did you send me that video? Hey, it was you. I have no self-esteem, he says. And if you see something like that, you'd be like, okay, maybe this guy's not that confident, right? But he says when he was a kid, his teacher asked him, on a scale of 1 to 10, where would you rate your self-esteem? And he's like, but why do I need to rate my self-esteem? What's the point? And he says, we should have no self-esteem. Because what does it mean to have self-esteem? It means that I regard myself highly. I esteem myself highly. Psychology would tell you, no, listen, if you are ranking who your heroes are, right on top should be yourself. That you should be the one that you hold in the highest regard. But why? What have you done? Why should you have self-esteem? The only person that you should esteem in high regard is Christ. He is who we find our identity in, not in ourselves. It's an interesting thought. So, we've dealt with the flesh. So we know what the flesh is and we know what the world sees as important and how that's in conflict with what God says is important, right? But now that we come to the things of the spirit, what does that mean? So for many of us, we believe that Life is a dark, mysterious experience where you never know what may come. 
and we lump the Holy Spirit into that as well, or the things of the Spirit. It's mysticism. It's, um, what do you call it? It's tarot cards and palm reading and future, and telling the future and horoscopes and divination. We believe that it's this dark mystery. But what does Jesus actually say? He says that I am the light of the world. In John 8 verse uh, 12, it says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but he will have the light of life. And what does light do? Light illuminates. If things are dark, it sheds. If you bring a light into a room that's dark, you shed light on the things in that room. Jesus is that light. He reveals all to us. He's chosen ones, right? So because of that, we have him living inside of us, and therefore we have this light with us walking around wherever we go. So let's look at Acts 1 verse 8. So let's set the scene. So Jesus died. He rose on the third day. What happened in, in the meantime? His disciples, number one, they denied him, and number two, they got scared and they ran off. They were chicken. Peter denied Jesus not once, but three times, even though Jesus told him, you will deny me, and he still did it anyways. He swore by heaven and earth that he would never. Jesus, I will die with you. And what does he do? He chickens out and he denies Christ. So we have these disciples. They've scattered all over the place. Jesus is raised from the dead, and he comes to them. Where does he find them? He finds them fishing. He finds them out there going back to their old jobs. They just spent three years, three and a half years, with the creator of the universe, and now they were scared, senseless. And so Jesus spends about 40 days with them, talking through like some of the things of the kingdom of heaven and sharing with them again. And at the end of his time, those 40 days, in Acts 1, he's spending time with them, and they are pestering him. It says they keep asking Jesus repeatedly, Jesus, okay, fine, so you're back, you're risen from the dead, when are we going to overthrow Caesar? When are you going to bring your kingdom down? Let's storm the Colosseum. Let's storm Rome. Let's take this over. You've conquered death. Nothing can stand before you. And Jesus rebukes them. He says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Listen, it is not for you to know the time and the season and the place when the end of times will come. And then he says to them this. He says, Acts 1 verse 8, he says, but you will receive power. And in Greek, it says dynamis or dunamis, dunamis, and ability. But you will receive power and ability when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then he spends a little bit of time with them, and then he ascends into heaven. And they watch him go. And now they're standing around there looking at each other. And they're like, yo, he's left us again. What are we going to do now? So, I mean, they'd been spending 40 days with Jesus, and I'm sure that their faith had risen up, but they were expecting a war. And Jesus had, defeat, had, had, had defeated that idea completely. In fact, he disappeared again. Now they're standing there, and Jesus told them, listen here, go back to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. And so then the day of Pentecost comes, and we're familiar with that story, right? The day of Pentecost comes, and the Holy Spirit descends on that place, and it infuses these wimps, these uneducated fools with dunamis, with dunamis. And guys, you need to 
put this into perspective, just how amazing that was. I mean, these are uneducated guys. If you read Acts, it talks about how Peter and John are standing in the synagogue arguing with the Pharisees. The Pharisees are guys that had dedicated their whole lives to studying the scripture and the law. They knew it inside out, and they were confounded and dumbfounded by these uneducated fools standing in front of them. And where did this power come from? From the Holy Spirit. What is dunamis? So it's a Greek word, and this is the properties of dunamis. It is inherent power, power that is within, resides within a thing by virtue of its nature, or which a person or thing exerts and puts forth. Power for performing miracles, moral power and excellence of soul, the power and influence which belong to riches and wealth, power and resources arising from numbers, power consisting in or resting upon armies and forces. That is the Holy Spirit. That is who dwells inside of us. So, when God says, greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world, that is what he's talking about. It's not some sissy power, okay? This is that sophisticated power. It says the power and influence which belong to riches and wealth. Have you seen an extremely rich and wealthy person walk into a room? They have a chip on their shoulder, huh? They're puffed up. This is the kind of power that it is that belongs to us. Not that we should be puffed up, okay? I'm not promoting that at all. But I'm just saying, put it into perspective, guys. Who is the Holy Spirit? So it refers to the Holy Spirit um, in Greek again as, let me get the word correct, as a parakletos. That is the word, parakletos, huh? Parakletos. And... That is translated as helper, comforter, counselor, teacher, advocate. An advocate is somebody that argues on your behalf in a court of law. That is who the Holy Spirit is for us. And the other word that is associated with the Holy Spirit is koinonia, which is to say that the Holy Spirit wants to fellowship with us. The Holy Spirit wants to spend time with us. Why? Because we are children of God. Therefore, he wants to be with us. And what's great about the Holy Spirit is that he was foretold long before he arrived in the prophets, in the Old Testament, but also by Jesus himself. So in John 14, verse 15 to 17, John 14, 15 to 17, it says, if you love me, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, if you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, there's that word, to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it, is, it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. John 14, 15 to 17. So this is who Jesus has promised us. And in fact, Jesus even said to his disciples, I have to leave now so that the Holy Spirit can come. Because I am one person standing in one spot at one time. But if I send the Holy Spirit, he can be with you every day in a multiple, multiple locations all over the earth. And in fact, he will empower you to do greater things than I have done. In fact, he will reveal to you things that I could not reveal to you because you were not ready. 
That is who the Holy Spirit is. And if you read um, the rest of the New Testament, if you read from Romans on, you can see that, um, that glorious revelation that keeps coming through, that just builds on what Jesus taught his disciples. And it's a new and greater revelation. So how is it that we can spend time with the Holy Spirit? Well, we need to spend time with God. And that seems very, very basic. And it is very, very basic. But remember what I was telling you guys earlier about what it means to be of the flesh, to spend time with the people of this world, to spend time in the culture of this world, and to spend time thinking about myself over and over and over again. You can't do any of that when you're spending time with God. And what you need to do is you need to declutter your life. When you spend time with God, spend time with Him. Put off your television. Switch off your phone. Put every distraction aside and spend time with your Creator. And be expectant when you are with Him. And the best way to also spend time with Him is to read His Word. What is amazing is that we have this living, breathing Bible that speaks to us, that, speak, that has spoken to thousands of people, millions of people, billions of people over 2,000 years. Spend time in the Word, study the Word, and be expectant as you read the Word that the Holy Spirit will speak to you, that He will reveal things to you. I mean, I, I do two things when I read the Word. I read the Word systematically, so I read it from cover to cover. And then other times, I decide I want to go deeper into something, and then I start reading on a particular to topic. But what's amazing is that even with that progressive studying of the Word, which is day one, day two, day 50, day 100, and some days I skip because, you know, like things get busy and then you read something quickly or you read half of what you're supposed to read and you don't finish it and you start to lag behind, that the Holy Spirit still speaks to me in a very, very specific way on the day that I'm reading whatever it is that I'm reading. Even though it's progressive, day one, day two, day three, day four. And that's what's amazing about spending time with God is that He pursues us, that He wants to speak to us. He wants to reveal things to us. And you can only do that if you spend time with Him. And then you need to know and respect the Holy Spirit. You need to see Holy Spirit as a person, not an abstraction, not something that is non-existent or far from us. No, it's someone who is next to us, watching what we watch, seeing what we see, spending time with who it is that we're spending time with. The word also says we should not grieve the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? Like, I put it to you, try and imagine Holy Spirit standing with you, doing everything that it is that you do. Imagine Him as a person. And when I say imagine, that is not a figmentation. The Bible says that God has given us our imagination, and it is through our imagination that we can um, bring the things that are spiritual into the things that are real. So when you are imagining the Holy Spirit, imagine His presence standing there with you, doing whatever it is that you are doing. And then just think about whether it is that what it is that you're doing is pleasing to Him, whether He would want to be doing that. Because it says that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. So whatever it is that you're doing, He's doing that with you. Whatever you're watching, He's watching that with you. How does the Holy Spirit work? Just go on to the next slide. 
So in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 10 to 15, it says, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person, which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit, for they are folly or foolishness to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. And what's fascinating about this is that it says that nobody knows what happens inside of a person except for the spirit of that person. And I mean, just think about your thoughts. Think about your very, very private thoughts. Those thoughts that you haven't even voiced to your wife or to your husband or to your friend or to your mother or your father or your best friend. Those thoughts. Only your spirit knows that. And it says only the Holy Spirit knows the thoughts of God. And that is who it is that we commune with. That is who we walk around with, is that Holy Spirit. So when you're spending time with the Holy Spirit, be expectant. Be expectant for a fresh revelation. Be expectant for something beyond the normal. Be expectant to go deeper and deeper with Him. You must expect to see visions and dreams. You must expect folly and foolishness. I mean, the Bible says that the things of the Spirit are foolishness to the world out there. The world out there is overly concerned about what they can touch and see and smell and hear. They are overly concerned with what they think is reality. But we also know that in Genesis 1 verse 1, it says that, I want to read it word for word, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So the world is overly concerned with what is natural and what they can see and touch. But even the world has to acknowledge that there was a time or there was a, a period, I don't know how to say it, before time, before matter, before space. And the world calls it the Big Bang. And the fact of the matter is that if you read the scripture, it speaks to the fact that there was a time before time and that there was no space and there was no matter. So from that point of view, there was no reality. But the world is overly concerned with reality. That is all that there is to this world for them. But I put it to you that before there was reality, before there was matter, before there was time, there was the spirit. And that is who we have with us day in and day out. Before time, before space, before matter was the Spirit, the Spirit of God, and that is who is with us. So therefore, we need to start bringing the things of this world, the reality of this world, what we can see and touch. Bring it a notch down, guys. It's not that important. It's not as important as the things of the Spirit. The Spirit precedes it.
So four keys to enter into a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I mean, I've, I've demonstrated to you guys that the disciples were wimps. They were weaklings. They were foolish. They were uneducated. Yes, they'd spent time with the creator of the universe for three and a half years, but it still hadn't sunk in until they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And we're going to get practical. And if you don't, if you don't, if you haven't been filled with the Holy Spirit, we'll have a time where we can pray for you right now after the service so that you can receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I want to put it to you as well that Jesus dying on the cross was not the point. Okay, that sounds offensive to some, but it was not the point. It was the start of something. The point was that he wants all of us to join him in his kingdom that he will reestablish on this earth. That is the point. That is what we are working towards. And the only way that we can get to that point is to be filled in the Holy Spirit. So salvation is the first step. It's not the point. It's the first step to the next thing. Number two, be led by the word of God. You have to spend time in this living, breathing book. You need to learn to speak in tongues. Number four, you need to learn the different ways that God speaks and leads. And there are many different ways that the Holy Spirit speaks to us. And what's great is that if you lift up your expectation of God and of the Holy Spirit, He doesn't disappoint. I remember like my wife and myself, we started trusting God for dreams. Like my wife hardly ever dreamt. She says she never dreamt. And then she just one day put a stake in the ground and said, I want to dream. I want to dream dreams. And God started downloading. He started like giving us stuff. Some of them were scary as well. Like really scary stuff. Including like last year when we both got sick. So I almost died. She almost died. We were looking for attention. Um, and there was this point before I got sick and she had a dream. And in that dream, there was a massive storm going on. And she could see it clearly. But she says that me and her were holding hands and we were flying. Yeah, we were flying above the storm. And we were looking down upon the storm. And we were completely at peace. And she was completely at peace. And I was frightened. I was like, what on earth is this nonsense? God didn't speak to me. Why is he speaking to her? I don't have peace about this. And a couple of weeks later, I almost died. I got very sick. And I almost lost my mind. Like, really almost lost my mind. I had an infection in my brain. And the doctor said that I could have had brain damage. I could have died. And God had prepared my wife. Now, if you know my wife, she sometimes tends to be a warrior. Not warrior. <laughs> warrior. <laughs> and God prepared her heart. God said, listen here, I'm going to give you my peace. My peace that surpasses all understanding. And that I will be you in the midst of that storm. And then later on in the year, she had another dream. And she told me that dream, and I think we were in a boat this time, right? And there was a massive storm going on around us. And now I had been healed, and I was fine now, and I was like, that's so awesome. I take that. I believe that. And she was frightened. <laughs> and then she almost died a couple of weeks later. But God was with us in all of that, guys. 
And that is the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. And he wants to partner with you and he wants to be with you. And I want to call my wife up and she wants to share like a testimony with you guys. Hi, everyone. I was actually asked to share a testimony. But um, I just, I sometimes feel when you start talking about the Holy Spirit and everyone thinks you have to get like ultra weird and all of that kind of stuff. But I have a little daughter. Her name is Sophia, Sophia Lily. And when she was born, she had like crazy allergies, guys, like just crazy, crazy. She couldn't eat anything. And being a mom, it, it, it drove me insane. Like it was so hard for me to not fear my child's life. So everywhere we went, we would pack everything in. I'd, she had a bracelet. Um, she, she had an EpiPen in case something got in. And we had to literally do first aid courses for everyone that's in contact with her all the time. But so be it, so it obviously drained us, it drained us as a family, as a couple as well. But we got to a point where we were like, okay, cool, Holy Spirit, jump in. And how did we end all the misery? We started praying for the food that Sophia was about to eat. And we expected that God was gonna tell me if it's okay. So I would lay my hands on the food and be like, can she eat this thing? And I'd be like, Yes, no, and that's how we got our daughter fine, and we know that God's busy healing her. There are a few other allergies that we're still sorting out, but at least we're not fearing her life, and that is how practical the Holy Spirit is. Yeah. Do you want the other one as yes. well? Okay. So, <laughs> um, I, my recent, my previous employment, this is, this is a nice story actually, yeah. So in our church, we've got something called a prophetic arts ministry where groups of people come together and they'll paint or make things from their hands, trusting that it's a download from the Holy Spirit. And um, I joined the team and the one evening, I also had a dream and then I woke up and I saw these mountains with love written all over them. And I started painting these mountains. And I'm like, Lord, who is this painting for? Because it's not for me. Like, this doesn't necessarily speak to, to where I'm at. And he dropped this person's name in my heart. And I was like, oh, no, I can't do that. So it was a fellow colleague. He was about to retire. Old man with great silver in his hair. Very well put together gentleman. And I didn't, I couldn't figure out like, Lord, now that I have this painting for him and I want to tell him of your love and that you're there for him, where am I going to get this opportunity to give this thing without being human resources in a company where you can't necessarily share your faith with people if they don't want to hear it? And I was like, Lord, I'm going to walk around with this thing in my laptop bag and when the opportunity comes, it comes. And so be it, I had an opportunity to coach this individual and we get to the end of his coaching session, and I say to him, you know what, dude? I'm not allowed to do this, but I'm gonna do it anyways. I wanna hand you this picture, and you must tell me what you say, or what comes to mind. And this old man about to retire breaks out in tears in front of me, and he says to me, I see the love of Jesus. And then he says, I was about, I wanted to commit suicide this morning. And that's the power of the Holy Spirit. A simple drawn, nothing fancy. 
And yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> so guys, I, I just want to say that like you, like you need to spend time with God. Like you need to spend time with Him and you have to be expectant. And um, like you need to set things aside. Like just declutter your life. Like the majority of the time that you spend in your day needs to be around him. In Joshua, it says um, that you need to bind this word on your heart. That where you go, when you sleep, when you wake up, when you walk, when you talk, when you are with your family, when you're with your son, when you're with your friends, you speak the word, the word, the word, the word, the word. It's Jesus when I wake up. It's Jesus when I go to sleep. It's the Holy Spirit wherever I am. He is there. And so what I've been trying to do is I've been trying to declutter my life. Like I've just been setting things aside that don't bring honor and value to God. Like I shut off my DSTV. It was kind of a financial decision because I was like, it feels like a waste. But like when I set it aside, all of a sudden I was like, Lord, I've got all this extra time. I've got Netflix. I can watch something if I want to. But like the fact of the matter is it's just I don't need it anymore. And I mean, so much of what we watch these days is trash. And I've been setting aside like activities that don't honor God. And I've been setting aside hobbies that don't honor God. And I've just been filling it all up with him and with his word. And when you do that, Holy Spirit just speaks to you. He just, he just deposits in you over and over and over again. And, only, and when you think that, Lord, it can't get any better than this, he takes you higher and higher and higher. A new mountain peak, a new revelation, something better, something greater. How wide is his love? We do not know. How deep is his love? We cannot fathom. It is, it is never ending. It is endless. So if you do not have this experience, if you have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit, and guys, you will know if you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. It is an event. It speaks of it in Acts that the disciples laid their hands on people and prayed for them to receive the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit would, would enter them and it, it would manifest. It would manifest in many ways. It would also manifest in speaking of tongues. And if you have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit and if you would like to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, or if you have been baptized but you can't speak in tongues and you would like to receive that gift, to be able to speak in tongues, the Bible says that if we speak in tongues and groanings, that God starts to reveal things to us in those groanings that he cannot reveal to us in other prayers. So if you want that gift, I want you to raise your hand. Every eye closed, every head bowed. If you want to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit, I want you to raise your hand. And if you raise your hand, I want you to come to the front. And I want you to be bold. And if you feel like you're not bold enough right now, we're going to stay after the service and we will spend some time with you. And if you have questions, we can answer those for you. Um, but I just want you guys to be purposeful this week in spending time with Holy Spirit. To take away the distractions, to set aside the world, to set aside those people and the culture of this world. And most importantly, to set yourself aside. Set aside yourself and just spend time with Holy Spirit this week.
Spend time in the word and expect God to speak to you. Expect God to download something new into you. Expect God to, to reveal his love and his glory to you. And guys, there's always more. There's always more. You, he is a river that never runs dry. He's a never-ending ocean that we can drown ourselves in, that we can get lost in. And the cares of this world cannot come into comparison to who it is our God is. And Lord, I just want to bless every single person here today, Lord. And I want to thank you, Lord, that, that we have your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord God, that we have this gift that keeps on giving. Thank you, Lord God, that we are stronger, that we are mighty, that we have this dunamis, Lord God, wherever we go. This dunamis, Lord God, that can do miracles, that must do miracles where it goes. This dunamis, Lord God, that gives us peace. This dunamis, Lord God, that gives us um, a soul that is at rest and at peace. This dunamis, Lord God, that gives us strength and power, Lord God. This dunamis, Lord, that gives us influence, Lord. It gives us wealth and riches, Lord God. Not of this earth, Lord God, but of heavenly realms where moth and rust cannot destroy. And Lord, I pray that we would step into that, that we would not be um, those people, Lord God, that have the spirit inside of us, but don't make use of it. That have this power inside of us, but don't walk in it and practice it. May we practice, Lord God. May we step out in faith. Lord God, I pray that you would just give us a supernatural bravery this week, Lord, and courage to step out and to expect, Lord. And as we expect, Lord, I know that you will meet those expectations, that you will bring souls to us, Lord God, that you will bring um, answers to our prayers. And I thank you for this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit envintook.org.